Hello, you're welcome to the Uncommon Woman Conference 2021, themed Audacious, Living Fearless. The message you're about to listen to is brought to you by Jesus House. God bless and enjoy the message. Rachel Gardner is a president of the Girls' Brigade, director of partnerships at Youthscape, an ambassador for Home for Good, founder of the Romance Academy, and a best-selling author for youth and young adults. She's on the leadership team at Preston Minster in the Northwest, where she serves with her husband. They have two adopted children, and the family have a few fish. The children want to add a pit bull terrier puppy to their family unit, but Rachel assures us that that will never happen. This summer, they will be planting a youth resourcing church in Blackburn in the northwest of England. Put your hands together in a bold, audacious welcome to our keynote speaker, Rachel Gardner. Hi, my name's Rachel Gardner and I am so, so excited to be joining with you at Uncommon Women Conference. So grateful for the invitation from Pastor Sola and all the team. And an absolute delight to be joining with you from Preston in the northwest of England. So my husband and I have two children. We have Daisy, who's nine, and Thomas, who's three, both adopted the most beautiful gifts from the Father Heart of God to us. We love being their parents. Um, and this week, I got the letter saying that I need to take my three-year-old for his preschool jabs. And any of you that have kind of ever taken little ones for their preschool jabs know that they, um, there's, there's an injection that goes in one arm and there's an injection that goes in the other arm. And I think all of chaos and pain and despair and darkness is unleashed between the two jabs. Because at the first jab, the child has no idea what's about to happen. And after the first jab, they just look at you as if to say, you're gonna let it happen again? And I'm sat on your lap and you're gonna let them do it again? So anyways, I wasn't looking forward to this, but luckily, our nine-year-old Daisy loves everything to do with nurses and medical stuff. So she came with me armed with her own mask, even though she's only nine, and stickers and sweets to coax her little brother through this. And as I was driving there, I was thinking about this theme of this conference about living fearlessly. And I was thinking, the great thing about being three is that you can be completely ignorant of anything awful that's about to happen. And so I kept saying to my daughter, don't tell Thomas anything. Don't tell him it's gonna hurt. Don't tell him he might cry. Let's just say we're going for a fun trip out. Like when you're three, ignorance equals living fearlessly. But you and I now know, don't we, being a lot older than three, that life doesn't work like that. In fact, we are more likely to be anxious about the things that we can't control, but we know somehow are out there. And I think this last year and a half, probably for all of us, we've been living with kind of increased anxiety levels because we know, don't we, that the risks have been greater, but we don't really know what's around the corner. And so whenever we are faced with these fears and anxieties, we're faced with two options. We can deny our fears, pretend stuff isn't happening, or we can identify our fears. 
Now the thing about uh, denying fears is that on, on the one hand it can sound so good. I mean it can sound quite godly, quite holy. I mean I, I could actually be denying the fact that I'm anxious about stuff but I could make it out to you as if actually I'm not in denial. I'm rising above it. Like these fears, these anxieties aren't going to hold me back. But actually I know in my heart that doesn't come from a place of confidence in God. It comes from kind of this. <laughs> so what is the other option then? Well, the other option is that we identify what concerns us. We acknowledge our fears, not, not to give them a power or an authority in our life, but to admit that this stuff is real for us right now. In fact, I heard a very wise person say that God is the denier of all denials. God is not where we are not. God is where we are. So in identifying our fears, we are able to say, God, this is where I'm at right now. And your word promises that as I draw near to you, not in some kind of hypothetical scenario where I think I should be more faithful, I think I should be living more fearlessly, but in the reality of what's going on for me, the promise in scripture is that as I draw near to you, I find that you are already drawing near to me where I am, as I am. And that's the thing about this conference, I guess, isn't it? What I love about this is the theme for this conference is about living fearlessly. And, and you have been listening to the most extraordinary women, like preaching out of their heart, out of their gut, out of their life. Doctrine in scripture is living and breathing within them. But they're probably also doing what I'm doing. They're filming it in their own home. And, and, and I'm not going to show you. Actually, I'm, I might show you in a minute. <laughs> but this little area of my life looks quite organised. But there is a massive pile of washing. I can see my kids' socks hanging up and piles of books that I've taken off the shelves to look neat. Like, if ever we were to do a conference where we're going to talk about living fearlessly as we are and God meeting us in our everyday domestic ordinary moments, this is the time for it, isn't it? Because we're all experiencing a life in lockdown where we get to face a little bit more of the truth of who we are and how much we are in need of God's grace, God's comfort, God's strength. If I was on a platform with platform lights on me uh, in, you know, in, in Jesus' house, like I, I could probably give a really good impression that everything is super fine, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this to you out of my home. <laughs> I've got my kids to school this morning. I've just been on a Zoom thinking about the church plant that Jason and I are doing. I spent quite a bit of time crying last night because my dad turned 70 today. And I can't be with him because he's shielding. Like this is real life. And so I'm honored to be sharing with you today. So the invitation in my talk with you about living fearlessly is an invitation to you and me to be present with God. So let the cry of our hearts and the anxiety that sometimes we feel in our chest, maybe the churning in our stomachs, the questions in our minds, the struggles in our souls, for this next piece of time together, may all of this trigger within us a deep hunger to draw close to the God who knows us, who has more for us than we could dare to dream or imagine. So being present, 
with God. And I, and I guess I, I just want to invite you, take a deep breath. What can you hear? Where are you? What can you smell? What can you see around you? God is with you where you are physically, emotionally, in your situations that you face. God is with you. Be present now. Don't be somewhere you think you should be. Be here. Now, I guess that is so easy to say, but in reality, we find this very hard to do. We need to resist the temptation in these moments to say, well, I can point to a time where God helped me in the past and I felt his presence so real and he's, he gave me courage and confidence to be fearless in a situation that would normally take me out. Like we can, we can point to the past. I hope you can. Maybe we can kind of also look to a future and say, in this moment, I, I have faith that one day I will experience that overwhelming presence of the Spirit that will give me courage and confidence to live fearlessly in whatever situations the future will throw to me. But what about now? God is with you now and the full resources of heaven are available for you now, there's a really old theologian called A.W. Tozer, long since buried him with the Lord in glory. And A.W. Tozer puts it so beautifully, but it's fairly old fashioned language. So just stick with me, but this is how it goes. He says this, we stand in our now and we look back by faith to see our past filled with God. And we look forward and we see God inhabiting our future. But our now is uninhabited except for ourselves. We talk of God much and loudly, but we secretly think of him as being absent. And we think of ourselves as inhabiting an interval between the God who was and the God who will be. And we are lonely with an ancient and a cosmic loneliness. So we try by every method to relieve our fears and heal our hidden sadnesses. But with all of our efforts, we remain unhappy still with the settled despair of people alone in a vast and deserted universe. But he ends his quote with this. But for all our fears, we are not alone. I wonder sometimes if we're not so good at acknowledging that sometimes we do feel that we're in that interval between a God that we see has been carrying us all through our life, even if at the time we didn't know it, but we look back now and we say, "Ah, oh, yes, God, I spot your footprints. I know you were carrying me. And the interval between that and knowing we have faith that God will be true to his promises. But sometimes we could feel a detachment now, an aloofness now, an alienation now, from the God who wants to be fully present with us, with all that we're going through. The invitation to draw near to God is the invitation to be present now, to meet the God who is with us. So what happens then as we draw near to God, as we are where we are? Well, scripture tells us that initially what happens is not always necessarily what we're expecting. Can you think of times in scripture where people cry out to God from the depth of their fear, their concern, their anxiety, and God shows up, but makes it all a little bit worse? 
Think of Gideon. So Gideon is this army commander who knows he needs to lead God's people against the Philistines that are coming against God. And Gideon's like, oh no, this is terrifying. And goes and hides in the wine press. And the angel, I just love the sense of humor of the heavenly beings. The angel comes and says to Gideon, oh, you are mighty. And Gideon's like, I am hiding. There is nothing mighty about this. Um, and then like they had this amazing interaction and Gideon's thinking, God's showing up. God is meeting me in my fear. God is here. And then the angel goes, so great, you're a bit anxious about fighting uh, with, with that army. Well, let's just reduce that army right down. And Gideon's like, what? God, you showed up in my fear and made it worse. I think of Moses, like Moses has, has run away from Egypt. He killed a, a, an Egyptian who was trying to murder one of the Hebrew slaves. And he runs for his life and he escapes to the desert, the wilderness, and he's there for a long, long time and he's tending his father's sheep and he's married and he's settling down, maybe finding a little peace for his distressed and troubled soul. But God has got his eye on Moses and he sees, Moses sees the bush that's burning up and uh, he gets close and they begin to have this chat and <laughs> Moses is saying, God, I, you know, I just have such a heart for your people. I want to rescue them. And God's like, great. So I'm going to send you to the worst dictator on the planet, the Pharaoh. And Moses could have said, God, you have just made it so much worse. There's countless times with the disciples. Think about the time that the disciples are in the boat, in the storm. And the, I mean, these are hardy men. They're fishermen. They're not terrified by a little bit of bad weather. Um, but so this storm is obviously awful if they are if they are like despairing and then Jesus comes and meets with them and what's their initial reaction it's a ghost like God showing up in our fears initially sometimes it feels like he doesn't make it better he makes it worse so so what is God doing what's God doing in these moments well I wonder we're going to get stuck into one of those stories in scripture in a minute but I, I want to put this to you God is so passionate, not just about meeting us in our fears, but about unhooking any, I call it our fingers are holding on to anything in those situations other than total dependence on him. Like, even when I am uncertain, unsure, I still, even though I'm desperately calling out to God for help, I can tell you, I am still paying attention to my bank balance, paying attention to my physical life, thinking, like, well, at least I'm a little bit healthy, got a little bit of money, you know, I can feed my kids tonight, like, you know, all these things, at least I've got all this, I hold on to all this stuff. And I wonder if God is sometimes saying, I am here and I'm going to show up in even more power, but I need you to let go of anything else than full dependence on me. I wonder if God sometimes in these stories, he is culling our comfort so that we don't lean on anything else than him. So that we can truly see that in every situation, even the most intractably terrible situations, God is greater than our greatest fear. God is greater than our greatest enemy. It's a little bit like if there's a spider. We live on a housing estate in the northwest of England. It rains 
all the time. Even on hot sunny days, everyone's like, oh, is it lovely weather? I'm from North London. I'm like, no, nice weather is the sun shining. And up here it's like, it's warm rain. That's a nice day. So there are so many spiders that come into the house, like massive ones. And I am that person, I'm so sorry. I wish I was more empowered as a female, but I am that woman that's like, oh, there's a spider around me, anybody. Just get rid of the spider. I don't care where you put it as long as it's outside. I don't want to see you doing it. I don't want to hear you doing it. But when I open my eyes, that spider has to be gone. Like that's how I deal with it. And, and I wonder if sometimes that's how we imagine it is with God. God, this thing on my, in my life is just too big. Can I just close my eyes? And when I've opened my eyes, can you like somehow have made it go away? But that's not how Jesus deals with us. He doesn't say, close your eyes and it'll all disappear. He says, open your eyes and watch what happens when I'm with you. So friends, if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 14. I'm gonna read it to you. Um, if you haven't got a Bible's handy, that's fine. Um, I read to you from the Passion Translation, just because it's a little bit of a different version. It's the same story, it's the word of God. But sometimes hearing these familiar stories told in a way with slightly different language, I think sometimes just brings to life and allows the spirit just to kind of like illuminate in our hearts and our minds some things that the spirit is wanting to drill home in your heart today. Remember God's word is the only book that is living and breathing. It's alive. This is the word of God that was spoken eons ago and is being spoken to you today. So Matthew chapter 14. As soon as the people were fed, Jesus told his disciples to get into their boat and go to the other side of the lake while he stayed behind to dismiss the people. After the crowds dispersed, Jesus went up into the hills to pray. And as night fell, he was there praying alone with the Father. But the disciples, who were now in the middle of the lake, ran into trouble, for their boat was being tossed about by the high winds and the heavy seas. About four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them, walking on the waves. And when the disciples saw him walking on top of the water, they were terrified and they screamed, a ghost! And Jesus said, be brave. Don't be afraid, I am here. And Peter shouted through the storm, Jesus, if it's really you, then have me join you on the water. Come and join me, Jesus replied. So Peter stepped out onto the water and began to walk to Jesus. But when he realized how high the waves were, he became frightened and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried out. Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and lifted him up and said, what little faith you have. Why would you let doubt win? And the very moment they both stepped into the boat, the raging wind ceased. Then all the disciples crouched down before him and worshiped Jesus. And they said in awe, you are truly the son of God. <laughs> the word of God is powerful and active. Let's just ask Jesus, will you just lodge that story into our lives? May it be like the wallpaper of our existence. 
our screensaver, that image we go to, that if we're on the waves and we are with you, we can be fearless. Amen. A little bit of background to the passage then, because Matthew chapter 14 falls in a really significant time in Jesus' ministry. It's a time of deep emotional distress and exhaustion for Jesus. His cousin, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded in the most horribly humiliating public spectacle and Jesus is missing him no doubt and also he has just recently uh, fed thousands of people as a response to hearing about his cousin's death Jesus we're told sort of makes his way out of the town on his own but of course people want to be with Jesus they want to find him and so thousands of people follow him out and he says to the disciples we've got to feed him how should we feed him and they're like oh I don't know and so Jesus says just grab me some food and they find a little boy's picnic and they and then Jesus multiplies that and feeds thousands I mean so he is emotionally he's been through the mill he's exhausted and and, and it says in in the chats we read he he literally forces the disciples to get on the boat have you ever been in a situation where you're like people overload you're like just shutting the door as, as they're leaving the house I just need I need some alone time that's what Jesus doing the disciples I love you better get on a boat Go do some sailing. Go on, into the water. So he pushes them into the boat and then he goes off up a mountainside to do what? To connect with the Father. To bring it all to the Father. To be the son in his Father's arms. To do only what he sees his Father's doing. I mean, my friends, if Jesus needs to do that, oh, so do we. Whether it's stick a tea towel on your head and tell the kids to be quiet, whether it's a walk to the bus, whether it's as you're driving and the traffic lights go red and you can just take a few moments and say, Father, I'm connecting with you. I need you. So this is what's going on for Jesus. And this is the first thing I want to draw out this passage is that Jesus isn't removed from the experiences of emotional and mental pain and struggle that we face. And even before he walks on the water to meet the disciples physically in their fear, he already, because he is fully human, he already is in that sense of this is what it means to be a human being and to be full of pain and to have anxieties and to fear. Jesus is not afraid of our humanity. He took on our humanity. I think it's also beautifully displayed in the story where Jesus goes to Simon's house and he's lounging around the table with lots of very significant men. Well, they, they probably would have thought themselves very significant and they were in their culture. And then this amazing woman comes in whose life's been transformed by Jesus and she begins to, uh-oh, cry. Like, this is a space of men. And a woman has come in and started crying. And you could just feel the men like being like, there's a woman crying. You know, somebody get rid of her. We're the stewards. COVID stewards, get her out. And Jesus does none of that. He is not, he is not embarrassed by a woman's tears. In fact, he you know, there's a time where, where Mary and Martha and, and, and Martha cries and Mary cries and Jesus, he embraces that. He's like, he's not, and he cries. He's not afraid of emotion. He isn't afraid of our emotion. We need to remember that. We need to remember that because sometimes our prayers, our cry out to God doesn't sound like this. I'm now going to articulate very clearly what I want to talk to you about God. Often it sounds like this. Daddy! 
And the Spirit has to intercede out of all the groans of our hearts. And we know at the right hand of God is a man in heaven, Jesus, who understands us and intercedes on our behalf. That's the first point to bring. Jesus gets it. He understands. He's in there. He knows what you're going through. And number two then, Jesus then comes to the disciples and meets them in their place of struggle. What I love about this story is I think in some of the, this, this story is in a few of the gospels. I think it's Luke that makes the point. Jesus is sort of, is making his way and then he spots, he's making his way across the lake. Then he spots the disciples in trouble and sort of course corrects and goes to them. Almost as if Luke's saying, he was just, you know, wandering, the quickest way from A to B would happen to be across the lake. And so if you can walk on water, why wouldn't you? So he's, he's just doing that, but he spots the disciples. And I just love that little side thought maybe. But, but Jesus goes out of his way to meet them in their struggle, in the specifics of what they're going through. He meets them physically and emotionally. Jesus is with you by his spirit in every way that you need to know his presence. Have you got a picture in your head that God is with you, but he's sat in the corner emotionally aloof? Have you got a picture in your head that God is with you, but quickly distracted by his phone, playing a bit of chess? You know, it's interesting, isn't it, how sometimes what we do, because we, we understand relationships through the own lens of, of what we've been through. Sometimes we can, without realising it, we can project onto God what maybe we've experienced. But this story blows that out of the water. When Jesus says, I'm with you to the end of the age, He's with you in your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. He is with you every way that you need to know his presence. And thirdly, Jesus knows that he is enough for you. When, when he gets to the boat, um, he, he shouts across the water, take courage, be brave. It's me. <laughs> he doesn't say, be brave, I've got a boat coming to rescue you. Or, be brave, there are some lifeboats, uh, life vests underneath the seat. Did nobody take you through the safety instructions at the beginning of the sail? You know, he's like, no, I'm enough, I'm enough. Take courage, I'm enough, and I'm in here. Look to me. There's a simple choice. You have two choices. <laughs> Take courage because I'm here or don't. <laughs> it's a very simple choice. And, and, and what I love about that word, take courage, but often when the New Testament <clears throat> in Greek is using the idea of worry, don't be worried, don't be afraid. The word is meriamo, which, which actually means to be ripped apart. Have you ever had that kind of distracting worry? I had it the other night, I couldn't sleep. My, my, one of my children woke up in the night and I couldn't get back to sleep. And as I lay there trying to get back to sleep, my mind was full of worry. And it was the kind of worry where I was worried about this, and I was worried about that, and then I was worried about not being able to think about that clearly because I was thinking about that, and my mind was being like torn asunder. And I was just feeling overwhelmed. That's the, that's the word that Jesus is using. He's saying, take courage. Don't be torn asunder by your fears and your concerns. Come back together because I am here. We, uh, we sort of say in our language, don't we, in English, good luck, which means things might go okay, they might not. I just really hope it swings in your favour this time. The French uh, way of saying it is bon courage, take good courage, like pick up courage. And Jesus is saying to them, basically, you're in the boat, guys. It's a howling storm and you're terrified. 
pick up courage, dig deep because I am here and I am what you need and what I mean is grab hold of me. I am your courage, I am your courage. And of course, Peter embodies the response that this invitation demands, doesn't he? As, as normal, and I think I am Peter in many situations, brash, in there, you know, jumping in without thinking. But Peter's like, Jesus, if it is you, and you can read into that, and, and everything that you say you are, then invite me to come on the waves. And Jesus is like, great, come, Peter. And he wants, Peter wants to be as close as he can to courage. He wants to be as close as he can to the source of his hope and his courage and his confidence. Uh, but to do that, he has to get out of the boat. And I, we're not told that Jesus stretched a hand forward to help him. It, it, we kind of get the idea that Jesus is still in the waves as they're moving. It's not flat. <laughs> Jesus is doing this. And Peter has to get out and make that crossing towards him and, and remember we have this story but for Peter there is no evidence that this will work he doesn't think oh yeah last week in chapter two <laughs> Simon or, or John did this and he floated no he has to take Jesus at his word to embrace courage he has to take Jesus at his word and he takes Jesus at his word and I think we live in an age of overload information, fake news, information is power, blah, 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 blah. Let's never lose sight of the fact that God's word is the most powerful reality in our lives. Both because if God says it, I will do it. So it has authority. But also because of the one who is saying it. God's word breathes everything to life. Everything exists because God sustains it by his mighty word. And then of course, we had that amazing situation where Peter then takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to sink. And then Jesus immediately grabs hold of him and pulls him up and they get into the boat. But once they get back into the boat, everyone in the boat, did you see that in the passage? Everyone who has just witnessed this extraordinary turn of events, find themselves to be more in awe of the God-man who walked on the waves than they are of the storm. Like nobody is saying, whoa, that was a big storm. They're all saying, wow, that's a big God. Your courage to step out into your fear towards the one who says take courage will not just bless and benefit your life, it will build faith in others. And they might then take their eyes off their storm and look at the storm rider. I am daily in awe of the God who can still the storm in me. I don't know what lockdown has been like for you or just life before lockdown might have felt overwhelming. With their two children who are adopted who both have significant traumatic life experiences that they process, lockdown has sort of sent them reeling all over again. And most nights, if not every night, I find myself sitting up with my eldest, just speaking words of truth and love over her heart as she slowly falls asleep, because nighttime feels terrifying for her. And I can't move, I have to sit there quietly, I can't play Candy Crush on my phone, I'm 
sit there quietly. And at the beginning, oh, the storm in me. I want time with my husband in the evening. I've got work I need to do. I can't be doing this. I can't be doing this. And then I began to say, Jesus, well, as the storm rages in me, as I feel so ill-equipped as a parent to help my daughter in her fear, as I'm dealing with my own fears and concerns, and gosh, I've known you for years, Jesus. I thought I'd be through some of this stuff by now. I now in the evening say, God, you are the God that stills the storms in me. And I'm going to admit the storms. I'm going to notice them. Otherwise, I'm a danger to myself and others if I pretend they're not real. But I'm going to put my eyes on the storm rider, the one who stands on the waves and says to me, daughter, bon courage, I'm here. Come to me. Can you imagine what might have happened in the story had the disciples tried to be the heroes? If they thought that actually what Jesus was looking for from them was for them to be full of courage without him, they'd have missed out on really knowing in their gut that Jesus meets them in their fear. And they would have missed out of growing in confidence and faith that as they admit their fears and look to Jesus, he draws them into a stronger place in their relationship with him. My prayer for you, sisters, is that as you face whatever it is you're facing, as you name some of those fears and anxieties, not to give them power, but to use them to say, this is where I am. And Jesus, this is where you will meet me in your power and your strength will be made perfect in my weakness. And I'll see you on the waves and I will look to you and I will know and I will grow as a woman of courage. Hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want more information, please log on to our website at uncommonwomanconference.co.uk. God bless you.